welcome to the Rebel Educator Podcast, where we talk to students, educators, and thought leaders who are innovators and creatives in education. I'm your host, Tanya Sheckley. Thanks for joining us. Hi, everyone. I'm here today with Carly Malatsky. Carly is a recent graduate from Stanford University, and this summer she launched the She Leads with Carly podcast, which is a podcast that interviews powerful female leaders from all industries. And Carly and I first got connected because she invited me to be on her show not that long ago. And watching her interview series really gave me the inspiration to start this interview series. So I'm really excited to turn full circle and have a conversation with Carly today. So thanks for joining, Carly. Hi. Of course. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. It's so great to be here. <laughs> so we talk a lot to students and educational leaders and thought leaders just around what's happened in their educational journey and what things really influenced them and what things maybe they would have done differently if they were designing their own education. So I'll start out with asking you, are there any projects or classes or experiences that you can say really best prepared you for leaving college and entering the workforce as a new college graduate? Yes. So time will still tell what really impacted me, but I will say I played on the soccer team at Stanford. And I think that as a whole experience, I've played soccer since I was five, but especially at Stanford, just the level and the community that happens. I think that was such a valuable experience. It taught me, you know, always the importance of teamwork, leadership, but also adversity, you know, like you definitely go through times where it's hard. You're not, you're not playing as much as you should. Overall, you just learn a lot about the importance of mentality, self-confidence, and then again, teamwork. So I think that experience was very valuable. And then probably on top of that was this program I did at Stanford called the Mayfield Fellows Program. And it teaches all about leadership in tech companies. And so it was almost just similar idea to soccer, but kind of implementing it into the real world work environment at a tech company, starting your own company, you know, the culture you should be forming with your team and whatnot. So I would say those two experiences were really impactful. That sounds great. The Stanford women's soccer team is definitely something special. You are arguably one of the best female soccer players in the world and absolutely have gotten to play with the best female soccer players in the world. Uh, So I can only imagine what the pressure is of that, not only like from a college, but just from a worldwide perspective, because everybody is watching and the lessons and the teamwork and the leadership that you gain from that. So you've recently graduated and now you're in a boot camp experience. So I guess there's a lot of talk around college and if college is really necessary and if it's something that we need to do. Um, So what are your thoughts on was college necessary, college soccer aside, because that was definitely part of your experience. Um, But the academic side, you know, do you think college is really necessary? And can you share, you know, what you're doing now and why you chose to do a boot camp experience in addition to college? Yeah, it's such an interesting question. I actually have talked to a few people on She Leads who have invested in this whole alternative education. And, you know, there's a VC fund who are purely interested in the kids who aren't fortunate enough to go to college, but there's still so much potential. So it's a really good question. And I don't know if I have the answer because all I know is kind of from that college perspective. I will say, though, that, you know, soccer aside, I think Stanford as a whole and just the college experience, it's such a valuable time in your life. 
you never really have that time again where you're with people the same age as you, a couple of years older, all in one place. You're all going through the same thing. You're all, you know, taking classes. It's just a great environment that's rarely replicated anywhere else. So I love that. But at the same time, accessibility to education and some people don't have that that chance. And I think given that, that doesn't shy away from the fact that you can succeed, you can go pursue your passion and become excellent at it. So I think there are so many ways to do that. And I think like going straight into work and working experiences, that's just as valuable. And you learn a lot in that, that you probably won't get from a college education. So it's definitely mixed, but I'll say that I definitely love my college experience. And then going back to, you know, why am I doing a coding bootcamp right now? So I'm actually in Tel Aviv in Israel, and I'm doing a full stack coding bootcamp. And the reason why I'm doing it is I've always wanted to know how to code. And it's always just been this dark black hole, essentially. And, you know, given what I want to do in the future in my career, I thought, you know, like, I need to know what's going on behind the scenes, what the engineers are doing. I didn't want to just be blindsided and kind of have this still being a black hole. And I didn't have that chance at Stanford to really dive deeply into it and get its full value because of everything else that I was doing. And it was just too busy. So I decided, you know what, I'm going to do this boot camp. It's quick three to five months program that I just learn and establish a great foundation. And so that brings me to where I am now. Fantastic. So you you went to a pretty traditional high school. If you were to go back in time and go back to school or to redesign your elementary, middle or high school experience, what might that look like? What kind of school would you be really excited to attend? I love that question. I I don't know if we've actually talked about this before, but education as a whole is, in my mind, there's a lot of flaws that could be addressed. For this particular one, I'll talk about, I think the elementary age, in this age, I think there's a lot of things where even the idea where kids are put in this box of, you know, you're the creative type and you're the not, not the creative type. And they go on for years, even, you know, way deep into their career thinking, okay, I'm not creative or I am creative and that's it. And so I think just removing that stigma and that box of who's creative, who's not, and having almost a totem pole for the disciplines and the subjects, like removing that barrier and those that totem pole. Um, I think would be incredible. And also just the stigma of failure, you know, taking a test, making mistakes, I think it should be celebrated. This is a great opportunity for you to learn for you to become better at something. It shouldn't be wow, you failed, you deserve a phone call to your mother or you know, like it's, I think it's just twisted how it is. And then the last thing I'll say is, I think a lot of it is this individualistic mindset. And it's, you know, you take a test, you're competing against your friends and whatever it may be. And I think a lot of it should be collaborative because I think at the end of the day, like where I am now, where I will be, it's all about the people, all about collaboration, group projects. I think that's where you actually learn the most about yourself, about how you work with others, about how everyone's different and they all contribute something different to the table. And I think in elementary school is like a perfect time to start that foundation to be like, look, this is collaboration. That's where we can actually foster the best ideas and whatnot. So I would say that's a core for an elementary school that I'd want to go to if I could go back. Yeah, it's interesting because we're looking at what's happened in the pandemic. And when we look at what people are looking at now as what's necessary and important for education versus what can we drop and what don't we need to do during this time, it's a lot of the testing and especially the standardized testing 
that has fallen away that they're not doing anymore. And right. it begs the question of, well, if that's what we've decided isn't important during this time, is it really important? Aren't there better ways that we can benchmark our learning and our students? Exactly. And, so, and there's so many. And so often you really just like learn to test. You learn for that test and then it goes out the window. Like that's a known thing. And that's a bit crazy, you know, just to perform well on this test and this paper. And then all of those skills and those things that you just learned are out the window because you're so focused on the result. It's so result driven. So I think that's, yeah, I think that's a good, it's a good indicator that they're moving towards that. Yeah. And also, you know, looking at, like you said, you know, not, not just wanting the grade, but actually wanting to learn and being okay with failure. Exactly. You know, we look at testing in our school, we look at assessment and testing as a way to understand what our students know and what they don't know so that we can incorporate more of where their weaknesses are into the next project. So they gain that knowledge. Not yeah. so that we can say, oh, you scored a 70%. We're going to move on and learn something else. But right, we really, exactly. It should be a tool to understand you know, what you know and what you don't know and where your strengths are and where your weaknesses are so that we can design learning experiences to help all students become really well-rounded people with a solid foundation. Yeah. I think that's great. I love that. Yeah. You brought up another good point, too, about putting people in boxes and you know, being told you're creative or you're not creative or, you know, taking a step farther, like you're good at math or you're not good exactly. at math. And it can even be, you know, understanding as educators how powerful words are because it can be one sentence from one teacher. It might not be on a transcript anywhere, not on a test anywhere, but somebody somewhere along the way says, wow, you're so creative. And suddenly, you know, you go through life with this idea that I'm creative. But as soon as, you know, the same thing happens if you're told you're not something and that's not necessarily true. Exactly. And it reminds me actually of, you know, even women in STEM, women in tech, there's a huge disparity between males and females in tech. And a lot of that stems from this young age saying, you know, the boys are good at math, the boys are good at this, you know, I'll shy away from that or I'll step aside and I won't even try. Or, you know, like you said, that one teacher that says, okay, like you're going to be in this, the lower math class, like that sticks with them. And then, you know, senior year of high school, you know, sophomore year of college, you just have this idea in your mind, like, oh, no, I'm not good at math, even though you've never tried with confidence. Like once you try with confidence, and you think you're good at it, and you actually try, it's like a completely different result. So I think it stems largely from a young age, which is crazy. Yeah, and I'm, I'm gonna take that one step further and ask another question more about yeah. gender bias and sexism in classes. And just in the in the industry, because we we know that women are definitely underrepresented in tech. And one of the things that I hear often is part of it's because of the sexism, because women get talked over, because their answers aren't taken as seriously as their male counterparts. Have you, in your limited experience in going through college and starting a little bit of work in the boot camp, have you experienced any of that? Have you felt any of that? Yeah, it's interesting. I've definitely heard a lot from the women that I talked to on my show. That's for mm -hmm. sure, just this implicit bias. I mean, even now I'm in a coding boot camp. There's 60 plus people in it, 70 people, and there's I think about less a little less than 10% are female. And so, you know, there's there's already a gap and and just things I would say in my day-to-day -day that I hear is like when they're talk when people are talking about a company and they just assume like he or something. And I, my immediate thing is like, why he like, you know, I don't get it. And so I think things like that, where people totally have the right intentions, you know, not even thinking about it, but they have this implicit bias. 
So I think one thing is just recognizing that, bringing it to the table and, you know, bringing it out there in awareness. I think that's something that could help change. But I've experienced it a tiny bit, but it's still, it's definitely an issue and something that is slowly changing. Yeah. When you look at just in a broader sense, stepping away from the sexism issue, but when you look at the events and classes and teachers throughout your life and throughout your schooling, are there any that have made the biggest impact on your learning? I think, so maybe it's the recency effect and it's just because Stanford was a year ago, but I think a big thing was, as I'm bringing you back to that Mayfield Fellows Program, I think that's where I even uncovered more of my passion for entrepreneurship and just recognizing, you know, the gender bias and that there are less female founders and funders and, and the whole idea of entrepreneurship, creating your own thing, impacting others. I just got so excited by that. And it was a big reason why I started She Leads as well was just to hear from other incredible females. So I would say that program and just the community that comes with it and the mentorship that comes with it, I think that has the biggest impact for sure. What would you say was your most successful year in school? And how did you decide it was successful? Yeah, it's a good question. How do I decide? I would probably say my last year of Stanford um, is my most successful. And for a couple of reasons, I think one, I was just doing things I love. I think at the end of the day, like doing what you love, your passion, and you're learning at the same time. And you're you're not too comfortable, but you're in that perfect zone of you're uncomfortable, you're learning, you're growing, but you also love it. I think that's like the sweet spot. And I felt that oftentimes at Stanford, I was able to take a bunch of classes um, that I saw beyond just, you know, the four years and I saw into my career that I could apply to, which I loved. And then also just the Stanford soccer was also an incredible last year. So I think overall, that was probably my my best one. I think that's a solid definition of being an entrepreneur is being constantly uncomfortable and learning and not knowing what's happening next, but still loving it and having fun. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so how how would you define success when you look, you know, when you look back at school, you could look at, you know, what was successful academically. But when you look forward into life and career and workforce, what does success mean? Yeah, I think success it's similar going back to the passion answer. I think success is where you're doing something that you're passionate about and you're excited and you look forward to doing while also being in a state where you're learning and you're not getting too comfortable with what you're doing. Again, like it's kind of what I mentioned, but I think that's when you're most successful because again, like when you're, you know, you're doing the same things every day. Yes, it could be great and you like it, but you're not growing as a person, you're not learning, you're not impacting other people's lives. So I think that's success where it's your your passion intersecting with growth. But also, I love I, I'm learning like every day, the importance of relationships, importance of people. And I think I'll continue to learn that. But I think that's a big part of success is just continuing to meet new people, continuing to be inspired by others, you know, seek out mentors, seek out people who, who you see yourself being in five, 10 years, So I think that's also a big part of, you know, being active and and then reaching success. Yeah, I'm fascinated that you list a whole bunch of different character traits and ways of learning versus like job or a company or a thing or a place to be successful. And I think that's a real, it's a real shift in thinking. And it goes back to what you said earlier in our conversation about, you know, not being afraid to fail and really taking those risks to reach a successful point. But I think a lot of people, if you ask that question, it's I'll be successful when I can buy a house or I'll be successful when I 
run my own company or I'll be successful when I run my department or, you know, there's always like a plateau that they're looking to reach. Right. But your answer was really, I'm successful when what I'm passionate about and how I can find ways to grow, collaborate together and by building relationships and working with others. I, yeah, I think at the end of the day, like that's it's who you are as a person, you know, can you look at yourself in the mirror and be like, I have done everything I can. I love what I'm doing. I'm being kind to others. I'm helping others, whatever it may be. I think that's at the end of the day, that's what success is. But as you said, like, it's not, it's much easier said than done to, you know, say like fail and then get back up and, you know, cause it's hard. It's not easy to just fall and get back up and whatnot. And even just living with uncertainty, I think what COVID in this whole past year has taught us is that it's. Yes, you can plan, but at the end of the day, like some plans don't follow through and you there and a lot of things are not in your control. So I think that's a big part of it as well as just dealing with that uncertainty, being more comfortable with uncertainty. That's something that I can definitely, definitely improve on is just being okay and recognizing that, okay, you can't plan everything and whatnot. So yeah. Yeah. Being okay with uncertainty is not in human nature. I don't think. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think I agree with you. It's definitely hard. Yeah. And it's one of the things that we look at from our elementary students is how do we help them to see that the things that they do can influence the world around them? And how do they take the skills that they're learning, you know, even at five and six years old in a school and create action outside of the school walls and make a difference and really see what they can do and so that they can experience that growth. And it is those collaborating and building relationships that, you know, draws out our humanity. Um, yeah, that's the thing that we're really going to need to rely on is how do we relate to other humans? Definitely. 100%. Yeah, I agree. So looking back at elementary school, and this is a question that I ask everyone, since I, I founded an elementary school, and I'm here. If you look yeah. back at elementary, can you share a story of a favorite teacher or class or project that you remember from elementary school? Yeah, I I saw this question that you sent and it honestly took me a while to think of, think <laughs> of a specific answer because I did across the board I did have incredible teachers but I think one that it's funny because I actually never mentioned this or I've never talked about this before but there was one in third grade her name my teacher is Miss Olander and she was just again passionate like she was a passion teacher you can tell she loved like teaching us but one thing that I really loved was she had this passion for flying and she was a pilot as well or like she had she had been a pilot in her um mm -hmm. a few years back and she'd also she would still fly planes and I think that was just so so cool to me and so inspiring because it's it's just the idea where you know like you can you do one thing but you don't always there's no set path like you could do anything if you're passionate about something else you can do that you can do it at the same time you could do it different time whatever it may be and so I I loved her yeah, I would say Miss Olander in third grade was probably my favorite, one of my favorite teachers. But there were there were a bunch. I really I loved school. I still do. But yeah. <laughs> were there any did she do any projects with you to teach you about flying or about what it's like to be a pilot or about how planes fly? Or you just remember that she was a pilot? Yeah, I don't even think we did projects. I remember her just telling us stories. I think it was the stories probably that really got to me, but she would tell us stories about her flying planes. And um, I think that was what stuck, but it was just, yeah, I think that's just what I remember most. That's a good reminder that even just storytelling is really powerful. <laughs> and that's, yeah, that's the definitely. way we connect and remember. Definitely. 
so what else? Is there anything else that I haven't asked you that you'd like to share or like to talk about around your educational journey or your entrepreneurship journey? What's exciting to you right now? That's a good question. I am still very much, you know, learning and learning by doing. So we will see. But I think what's interesting right now is just the world we're living in and how I'm interested to see kind of the future of a year from now, two years from now, just even the future of work, like looking at work, looking at schooling, education, all of that. I think that's really fascinating to me and thinking of like the habits that'll change um, and what will, like you said, the SATs, the standardized testing, if that will go and, and things like that is just really interesting. So that's something I'm I'm interested in, but I think just in general, entering the workforce and, you know, learning more about myself and finding a great company to, to be passionate about is exciting to me. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing your thoughts, Carly. I really appreciate it. This has been a lot of fun. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Tanya. It's been so fun. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Educator podcast. To learn more about us, visit rebeleducator.com where you can learn about our professional development opportunities for educators and students and see our project library. If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, check out our progressive, inclusive elementary school, Up Academy, at upacademysf.com. We'd like to say a special thank you to Atmosphere for use of their audio track, Miho. Thanks again for joining us, and we wish you well no matter where your educational journey may lead.